We are live. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> well, welcome once again with uh, Ed Mullins and Bill Cannon at To The Point. Um, as everyone seems to know, there's been a lot happening across the country with uh, police. We have the case in Minnesota that now has a verdict. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about the shooting in Ohio. And, you know, Bill, I, I really want to open up with the idea of what's taking place in a meeting. We're waiting for Mike Mata from Dallas to come on board. And unfortunately he's got an incident brewing down there right now. But, um, you know, we just witnessed a huge trial um, that affected the nation for over a year um, in Minneapolis, the Floyd trial. And yesterday there was um, convictions on all three counts. Um, you know, Derek, Chauvin is now uh, convicted of murder and uh, second degree and manslaughter. And, um, you know, now we have a shooting that occurred um, in Ohio that we're witnessing where if the police did not get there in time, um, we have an individual stabbing another woman. Um, and now because he fired shots, he's being judged. Uh, Media is all over it. Seems to be protest starting. Uh, this seems to be a lot of lunacy, and yet the media is not really telling the truth. Um, I mean, have you been following this, Bill? Yeah, you know, I, I watched it, and, uh, you know, there was a, a big altercation, it seemed that, like at a ga- some kind of gathering. And uh, wh- as you see the, the, the video, uh, a, a girl runs away, and this male kicks her in the head, and then you see this other large female has a knife out, and she has it drawn back. She's actually getting ready. Her is in motion. She's getting ready to stab this other female. Right. An officer uh, arrives on the scene, and I believe he fired four shots, right. causing the 16-year-old female, uh, causing her death. Now, Also stopping what could have been another homicide. Another homicide, absolutely. Or and, you know, One of the things in using deadly physical force it's stipulated that you can use deadly physical force to save your life or the imminent uh, potential death of another. Right. So in, as we see on the video and, you know, I, I was in Manhattan North homicide for almost 10 years and we investigated a lot of police shootings. And one of the things was, was the shooting within department guidelines. And with this shooting in Columbus, Ohio, I would say judging from, the video, and of course, the video doesn't tell you everything, but I would say yes, it is within uh, department guidelines. But yet, the uh, the press jumps on it, and they just uh, they just say things that are not true. They inflame the situation. Oh, it's only a sixteen year old girl. How could the cop shoot her? Blah 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 blah. And you know, it's it really doesn't help things. You know, it really does not help things at all. No, they're not telling the story in its entirety. And, you know, I I believe that the victim was in uh, child, you know, protective services. Um, and, you know, you, you think now we're just compounding the problem one after the next. Um, you know, if the media tells the facts of the story, and, and we've been watching it for a while, and you and I both know we've responded to jobs in the city of New York, and the next day you read about it in a newspaper and it wasn't even – close to being accurate. What I find disturbing is that the media is continuing to sell a narrative that's completely untrue when it comes to police, and it's creating 
um, a lot of division across the country, a lot of violence across the country, and no one's addressing it. And what they really should be doing is talking about the issues that are affecting um, the communities, uh, why people of color feel the way they do uh, with the police, and using it as a, a point of education to bring people together. And, you know, educate the police too and say, hey, look, this is what we feel we're being stopped based on the color of our skin. Um, and tell the truth about the numbers because, as you know, and I know, uh, we are not shooting uh, male blacks the way everyone believes that this is happening. The statistics do not back this up. They don't. And, um, you know, when you think about the justice system, the protests that go on and, you know, the cities that have been burned and terrorized. Uh, now the justice system ran its course and has been a guilty conviction. Uh, does the system not work? Is, is we're going to argue that the system does not work uh, because now we got a guilty, you know, well, you know, and I would say like millions of other people that watched that video, uh, I would say it was disturbing to me also. Correct. And you're a sergeant, you're out on the street and the things that we're taught is a, when a guy's once a guy's in cuffs, get him up and get him the hell out of there. Right. You know what I mean? Because bad things can happen. Absolutely. Uh, I think Mike Mata just arrived. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing, guys? Sorry about Another that. Another great. Was... We're gonna we're gonna have to chastise your chief. Give us his name after the show's over. Yeah. He's from California. You know. Oh, uh, no wonder. No wonder he made you be late. Got put the surfboard down. <laughs> How well, you doing, thank Mike? Thank you very much. For, thank you for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. We're glad you made it. We got a lot to talk about. Bill and I were just talking about the um, conviction yesterday in a, a Floyd case, and um, you know, it, it it really went across country. Um, as as you know, you probably had the same violent protests going on for the last year, and now the justice system ran its course. There's a conviction. Um, you know. The, the people have spoken and, you know, we, we allow the system to go to due process, which is all anyone, you know, should ask. And, and we accept the verdict as many people are very happy about the verdict. Um, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, what your membership is thinking, but um, I, I think we need to get this message across to the general public is that we are a nation of laws and our system does work. And we could argue case after case. Sometimes people fall through and we believe they're guilty. But at the end of the day, the system does work and you got to give it the chance. Well, I think you hit it on the head, you know, as police officers. And, you know, I've been doing this for almost 27 years. If you're going to invest and risk your life, you got to believe in the justice system. You have to believe in due process. And that's when it works with you and when it doesn't work with you. And so, you know, I know you are in the same position that I am uh, when I have officers that are involved in officer involved shootings or critical incidences. You know, the number one thing I ask the public to remember is just because you wear a badge and a uniform does not forgo your right to due process. And that's all we expect. And that's all we should deserve. But we should deserve no greater or no less than any other citizen uh, in this country. So, again, you're absolutely right. It was played out in front of our eyes. Uh, he was judged by his peers. Evidence was produced. And you got to respect the decision of a jury uh, because that's a, that's a hard place, a hard seat to be in. And that's a hard decision to make when you're talking about a man's life. It, no doubt. And, you know, you talk about due process. It, it's, it's what every cop would want. 
it's what the general public wants. It's also what we try to provide to the general public, right? The people that we, you know, try to keep safe, we try to provide uh, due process. And at the end of the day, uh, we need to believe in the system, whether we like it or not. Uh, right. We need to trust the system. And, you know, we now ran its course. I, I have not met any cop in the country that has uh, disagreed with the verdict. Um, you know, and, and people understand it. Uh, we now hopefully can move forward and begin to try to heal the nation. You know, you know, Ed, you the, know only thing, the only thing I could question about the verdict, and I don't uh, question that he was found guilty. I mean, it was pretty graphic and I think it bothered everyone to see someone's knee on uh, someone's neck for over nine minutes. Right. But I just question how you can get three convictions on three levels of homicide, uh, murder two, murder three, and manslaughter two, because there's different culpable states of mind. Usually murder two has to be murder intentional. you know. And in New York, we don't have a murder three, so I'm not sure, I'm not gonna talk about murder three, but Manslaughter always has something to do with recklessness. Right. When the couple of mental states of mind are reckless, intentional, criminally negligent, and knowingly. Exactly. So that's why I'm not sure. And I'm not a lawyer, but those things are a little confusing to me. I did that's speak with a lawyer. Good, Mike. Mike, good. Well, that's the number one thing. That's the number one thing I'm hearing here from our officers. We don't have that in Texas either. It's either, you know, murder or a lesser included but only one conviction of one charge. Um, I don't see how you have three, you know, a murder, two manslaughters, but you have one, one victim. Um, and, and that's hard for us to understand here in Texas. We don't have that. I spoke with a, a former prosecutor last night and she had explained to me that uh, in Minnesota, there is the law is written that way where you are able to charge that. Um, you know, I didn't understand it myself, but apparently that's the law of Minnesota. And they were able to do it, and you know it ran its course. And obviously, amongst us three, you know we're, we're obviously wrong because it happened, and we got a judge sitting there, that, you know, went with it, and you know that is the law. So you know it's tough to understand, but it is in fact what's taking place up there. Mike, yeah. you have had a lot of stuff going on in Dallas, and you know one of the things we're trying to do is, you know level the playing field to give law enforcement a voice across the country. Right. Uh, we don't believe, I don't believe, I know Bill doesn't either. We were talking earlier that the media is really portraying police officers um, the truthful way the police officers are and, and describing their duties and, um, you know, accurately telling the story. And we are trying to do that and, and give us a voice. Um, I happen to love cops. I know they're good people. And at the end of the day, society cannot uh, exist without them. But in the city of Dallas, you've been going through a lot these past few years. Um, yeah. You know, you, you've had uh, um, the Amber Geiger uh, incident. Right. You had uh, the five officers, you know, murdered. Uh, you know, the uh, assassin that just decided he wanted to take out as many white cops as he can. You got a new police chief. You're dealing with the city council. Uh, a mayor. Um, and now in 2020, you have 251 murders. It's the highest number of murders in more than 15 years in Dallas. Um, what's going on? What's happening? Well, you're right. We have had quite a, a last five or so years. And, you know, to touch on the media first, 
I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I think it's very disingenuous the message that they're sending and the perpetuating this anger, this consistent, constant anger towards police. We all, you know, we've all had long careers where you have you have those peaks and valleys when, you know, just bad things happen. We have bad cops. We're we're part of the human race. We hire from the human race. So we're gonna have flawed individuals and, and they make horrible decisions. And we as a profession, we pay the whole for the sins of our brothers or sisters anywhere across this country. And I understand that, but it's almost like the media has has fed a daily, consistent, constant hatred towards the profession. I mean, I think a prime example is the shooting of this young woman, a 16-year-old in Ohio. She had a deadly weapon and was in the act of committing a, an assault, causing serious bodily injury or death to another. Every police department across this country, a police officer is required to protect the life of a third person. But all you saw on every major network was a cop shot a 16-year-old child. And so, you know, a lot of people don't bother to do any type of uh, actual uh, research or actually look into the storyline. They'll just look at that, uh, that title. And once again, for every one step forward we make, an example, the, the conviction in Minnesota, I would say, would be a, a step forward to legitimacy of the justice system. We have this come out two hours later, and instead of the media portraying it for what it was, they portrayed it for what it wanted to be. And again, now we take five steps back. And so because of that and narratives like that, that's what caused the death of our five officers and not to mention the other seven that were shot that didn't die and the four citizens that were shot. So, um, you know, you know, Mike, Mike, could I just say one thing? Please. Sometimes we let the media get away with saying, uh, you know, bad cops when sometimes it's a good cop put in a bad situation and he reacts Absolutely. to it. For example, in New York city, we had the Eric Garner case and, uh, officer Pantaleo, who has been fired and was they tried to indict him for murder. Uh, he was cleared, but he still lost his job. And everyone at, uh, also saw that video millions of times. And I would uh, not, I would say that Pantaleo was probably an excellent cop and was just put in a bad situation. But the media would call Pantaleo a bad cop. Right. I mean, that's exactly what they did to me. They, they tried to indict me for, uh, you know, for uh, uh, destruction of evidence and official oppression, when all I did is what every single one of us does when, an, when an, a, any citizen or an officer invokes their right to counsel. You cannot videotape a conversation between any citizen and their attorney in a criminal investigation. And it doesn't matter if they're a police officer or a citizen. Every one-year detective, that is beating their heads when they invoke their right to counsel all questions and videotaping stop especially when they're talking to their attorney but yet instead of telling the truth that that is the constitution and that is our rights they allowed it to feed it and go further and i had to face my i had to have my day in court so uh, well you know mike the, the most the biggest amount of lies and corruption is done through omission rather yeah. than commission you know just leave out the parts that don't agree with your narrative but that's well, not true. And, and I think it's a great disservice because then all these uh, prosecutors 
to appease the public because the public likes the word murder. They want, they want an officer charged with murder. Even in the situation, the circumstances that the, the, the acts that the officer did doesn't amount to the culpability of murder or the elements of the offense. And instead of being honest with the public, they go for that murder charge and sometimes they don't meet it. And now we have riots and you have those riots because a judicial system and a city government chose not to be honest with the public. And so the public feels like the, the justice system doesn't work for them. And I think it's very disingenuous. Mike, were you charged criminally? I was. You were. And I, I had to go in front of the grand jury. It was a long six. Well, it was actually almost three years, but actually waiting to go in front of the grand jury was about six months. Um, and they know build me. Was that a political indictment against you? Did that come from the mayor or the council or the DAs? How, how did this come about? If you it was a push from the activists, you know, they wanted me fired. They wanted me to be dismissed from the, the, the role that I play here in the association. Then they wanted me charged. And so our chief, instead of, uh, you know, saying that I followed policy, that's the exact same thing we had done that I have done for seven years as a respondent for critical incidences. The district attorney's investigative team, they were there when I did it. Uh, they know that we do this. Um, but instead of, of, of saying that, she allowed it to go forward. A, a prosecutor who wanted the department to look like we were hiding something brought it up in testimony without calling me to the stand, which I was more than ready to get, to get on the stand. Um, and that fueled it, and, that, uh, and then the the, uh, the DA took the uh, the charge to the grand jury. Well, I can sympathize with you because we have here in New York. Uh, I'm currently um, being charged administratively um, with failing to report corruption. An article that was actually in the newspapers. I'm supposed to know that the department didn't let it out. Um, and docs and the mayor's daughter, another article that was put on Twitter by a reporter. Uh, the interesting part about it is Commissioner Resnick, who's just about making $400,000 a year um, in the NYPD, um, you know, he's the equivalent of Captain Quig. And <laughs> what he's doing with murders running rampant, with shootings running rampant in the city of New York, is attacking a union president who is actually exposing all the inefficiencies in the NYPD and the failed leadership. So when you think that we are generating these resources and you know one of the little lieutenant rats up there is in charge of monitoring social media of the SBA, and this becomes a political indictment to the point that even the Civilian Complaint Review Board has some charges pending. It's going to violate First Amendment. Uh, there is an attack on unions. Uh, we're going to fight them back just like you did. But this is the lunacy of the idiots that are in charge. That we, we have murder running rampant. Tourists don't want to come to the city of New York. The, the mayor is now spending $30 million to bring people to see homeless um, and crazy people running the streets. And we have a commissioner that's basically checking for White Sox all over again. Um, you know, it, it's insane what's occurring. I think you see the complete lack of, of, of honesty when you're looking at, you know, I know they did it up there in New York, the qualified immunity fight. They're yep. trying here. I don't think it's going to work here. You know, they, they hang it on the idea that cops are not being held accountable. 
And if they were honest, they would tell them qualified immunity does not exist to an officer who commits a crime. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, again, a complete untruth and uh, it's allowed to spread. And all they're doing is taking rights away from officers, which is going to make these cities less safe because you're going to have less officers. Well, but you know, what the truth is, Mike and, and Ed, is that they don't care about crime. That is what we care about as police. Well, but right. I bet you if you ask the politician, what are the seven major crimes? I bet you half of them can even tell you. Until it happens to one of them. Absolutely. The world to stop spinning, and they want that crime solved. Listen, today. Corey Johnson, the head of our city council here, was all for protest until uh, they showed up at his partner's house. Right. And then it was like, oh, I can't have this happening. And, you know, it was okay when you were destroying Manhattan, breaking windows. And but then when you got too loud around you, you know, uh, partner's house there, uh, then it's no good anymore. Uh, it's like, you know, it's a lot of leadership that we're dealing with. Homelessness and drug addiction. Everybody's fine until they end up parking tents on their front yard. Then they want something done. Well, unfortunately, that's what's going to happen. Um, and it's only a matter of time. And then when that happens, we'll see the pendulum swing back the other way. Because the silent majority, they're the ultimate blame right now. They're allowing this to occur. And they're putting their head in the sand. And they're just watching this occur like it's not going to be them. It's coming to them soon. It's not going to take much longer when you see the, the violence that's occurring. And we're well, seeing you know, Ed, you, you hear the you hear the key words like um, defund the police. You yep. hear the police need more training. And as I've said before on the show, they don't mean that. They do not want to pay for training because no. they know that training costs money and training takes cops off the road. So they right. just say that and they're full of- Training's a political hand job that they're selling to the people in, in the city and across the cities in order to say, we're gonna correct this and we're gonna train people better. But they never spend the money on this. And they know that's the number one thing that gets cut when you take, when you do a budgetary cut, it's training. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, you're right. You know, we, the police association, we did a survey of city residents. We did 5,000 households and we did them in all the lower economic areas of town, East, South and, and West Dallas. 86% of respondents said not only do they want more police, they want better trained police. So it's completely contrary to what some of the politicians are pushing or allegedly saying that that's what their residents want. No, that's not what they want. The problem is they're not the ones stomping and dragging in the streets. Right. Over 80% of the people that we arrested during our riots didn't even live in the county. Yeah. A lot of them are paid protesters, paid anarchists that, that are out there. You know, they uh, coming from Florida, coming from all over the place, and they have nothing to do with the community in which they're protesting. I, I just want to go back a second to Officer Pantaleo. Um, you know, he, he took a lot of bad publicity, and he was called a murderer. And just for the record, no one's ever come out and said he wasn't a murderer. And he's not a murderer. He was never convicted of murder. He was never indicted for murder. And the chokehold uh, was purely an administrative uh, process in the NYPD. And it's not prohibited by law. And what we all witnessed, contrary to what everyone says differently, was not a chokehold. And he was thrown to the curb by former police commissioner, Jimmy O'Neill, who still has his head up in the mayor's ass. Um, 
you know, there was a deal to let him go and to let him keep his pension. He was never convicted of anything and he didn't get the backing. And that should be put out truthful of what really happened because there was a deal and O'Neill backed down and there was a whole thing going on between the mayor and the first step commissioner. And the real story behind that never made it public. And we're going to talk about that in one of our upcoming podcasts um, on why they were there. There, there's there's some interesting uh, rumors that attach to what really occurred. But yet Pantaleo was the fall guy for the Chiefs. Uh, Kizzy Adonis was a sergeant that was blamed. And it's bullshit what really occurred out there. Uh, I just It's a sore subject with me. So um, I had yeah. to clear that up. I, it just isn't right. But, you know, he met, Mike, you mentioned before about um, the people – in the neighborhoods where crime is rising, they want the police and they want the police there and they want the police being proactive. What the politicians want now is police to become security guards and basically just, just observe and then clean up the mess like sanitation afterwards, you know? Well, and not only security guards, they don't want you to come. They're saying they don't, some of them are saying they don't want you to come in their neighborhoods unless they literally ask you to come to their neighborhoods. No right. more patrolling. And so, uh, which is very counterproductive to maintaining a safe community. So you're absolutely right. They're not listening to the constituents. You know, no. nobody, nobody should have to live in a house with burglar bars. And everybody who isn't homeowners should be able to allow their kids to, to play in their front yard. You know, one of our particular council members who started this whole defund idea, uh, we had the state troopers come in and help and assist us. And, you know, state troopers, Really, all they did was traffic. They didn't answer calls. They did all traffic stops. Well, in his, he had the highest murder rate in his district over the whole city. In the 62 days that the troopers were in his district, which he complained and complained and complained because he said they were racially profiling, they didn't have one murder, not one, in 62 days. And um, but yet he forced them out. And what happened the next weekend after they left? Three murders. So wow. um, very disingenuous. He's not they're not looking for the people. Not working. Well, that's the, that's the old thing we learned in the academy. Omnipresence. Right. Just being out there deters crime. You know, even that's if you're a, a scarecrow, you know, that was the whole idea of putting the radio car on a on a street with high crime until. They slashed all four tires, and they said, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the tire truck guy was tired, man. Oh, I remember they, there was this one bad drug location in the 2-3 precinct. They said, put a camera up there. That same day, they stole the camera. I was like, yeah, hey, it was a good idea, chief. <laughs> the, media, the media loves riots. They call them peaceful protests. Yeah, a camera covering the camera. <laughs> yeah, you got a building burning behind you, and a guy's yelling at the peaceful protest. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Mike, I want to go back to, you know, July 2016 when, you know, five of your officers were murdered, um, you know, really with sniper fire. Um, you working that night by any chance you were? No, um, I actually was. Um, uh, had just got off a job and had just gotten home. Um, and uh, one of the pictures that's going to pop up here, uh, Lauren Aarons, he was actually my partner for a short time. Um, and... Uh, you know, it was a peaceful protest. I mean, we had officers walking with the protesters talking. I mean, it was about to end. There was no issues whatsoever. Um, 
and then shots rang out and it was uh it was devastating to this department uh, it was devastating to morale um, but i will say this the city came together a lot that it, it reminded me what happened september 11th to you guys up there everybody felt the pain of that because it was in their face to where officers were literally shot down in the street uh, for doing nothing uh, but walking with protesters and then you saw other officers covering up citizens with their own body um, because they couldn't get them out of the way. You know, you mentioned September 11th. That night, July 16th, was the uh, second most single night where multiple officers were killed in one particular incident. And um, so you're definitely um, in almost the same category. I mean, you know, different scale of what really occurred. But um, the nation was watching that as it happened. And if I remember correctly, um, the shooter, a guy named Johnson, yeah. was actually blown up, right? You guys he blew was. him up. You should go he about that. And I, I will give kudos to Chief Brown. Um, he knew he was going to probably take some serious backlash for making that call. Um, but he made it. Um, and, and during that time, he was a chief we really, really needed him to be. And uh, they sent that robot in and they were under the premise he wanted a cell phone to call his mom. And so they wrapped a little C4 around that cell phone, put it in a bag and put the old robot, borrowed a robot from the FBI. I'm sure they were real happy they got half a robot back. <laughs> but, uh, they, gotta over- they, they got more money. They'll just get more money the next day. You know? They'll get a stimulus check. <laughs> wheeled it over to him and then hit the switch. And uh, he, he did. He, a lot of people called him callous. But he was absolutely right in one thing. This was a highly trained, highly military trained individual. And we were definitely going to lose more officers attempt to take him out. And it was not acceptable. And so he made that call. And uh, we really do appreciate him doing that because we would have buried more officers without a doubt. And a lot of those guys up in that parking garage were dear friends of mine. I remember reading that. And I, I really, the same way you feel, I was like, wow, this, this chief made some decision, but you got to give him credit for it. Um, I haven't seen one like that ever. Uh, yeah. They sent in a, to blow up the individual, but could have happened to a nicer person anyway. I mean, shooting yeah. the people yeah. the way he did. Just to give you a, a, a small chuckle out of it. So we have our policeman's ball and the, and the DPA, we put it on every year and we have an officer of the year and we have a, a, a courage award. And we were actually going to give the robot back a new arm, you know, that we blew, we blew off uh, to, you know, to the FBI as a joke. Well, didn't they do something like that in the Orlando shooting? They they uh, blew the whole wall out, right? Remember, yeah. the guy killed like forty something yeah. people, and yeah. they still gave the police grief yeah. over using that. Like, how many people do you want to kill before we take, you know, extreme means to take them out? One of the things they're trying to take away the semi-military equipment that we had, and I may be wrong, but I thought it was in Dallas where someone was shooting up one of your precincts. Yeah, and, so, and you used a fifty caliber, I think, right? Yeah, we had a guy that showed up in an armored van. He bought the van off off eBay, and it, he added some more armor to it. He showed up with a fifty cal and just started lighting up our building. Officers responded. He was lighting up the cars. We didn't know, but earlier in the evening, he had put pipe bombs under some cars in the parking lot. 
Finally, uh, you know, a car chase ensued and our SWAT team took him out in another location. Um, but, you know, again, I think all of this is fed, whether it's in Texas or anywhere across the country. Um, it's the it's on the libelousness of the media. They're just, um, you know, they're it's unfettered lies and propaganda that is is forcing this negative to the to the police profession. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but we're having a hard time getting cops to want to be cops. So we. So people are leaving. I just had a conversation on Friday with eight cops. One of them was a sergeant and every one of them couldn't wait for their time to, you know, come to go or get another job to go. They, they said that, you know, some of them only had five, six years on too. And they said, this is just not what they thought it was going to be. Not well, you know, the thing is that, that cops, they want to do their job and they'll, they'll face death and they'll face danger, but, they don't want to go locked up for doing their job, you know, and uh, that, you know, you bring up qualified immunity and uh, lack of indemnification and they're, they're, they're worried and rightfully so, you know. Absolutely. And I think not only that, they have to look in their spouse's eyes, whether, you know, their husband or their wife, you know, uh, I know all of our spouses understand that there is that chance that we might not come home and they accept it, but it's a little bit different to try and accept that your husband's going to go to prison for 40 years. Um, and possibly so doing something that was correct. Exactly. I mean, you could so easily think, be indicted for doing your job. I think that's where a lot of spouses are, are having those hard conversations with their police officer uh, spouse and saying, it ain't worth it. It isn't worth it. Yeah. The Amber Geiger case was, was huge in many, many ways. It was tragic. Um, you, know, you have a police officer who goes home. She goes to the wrong floor, goes to the wrong apartment, um, opens the door, um, you know, she shoots uh, a person in what she believes to be her apartment, Botham Jean, and it wasn't her apartment, it was his. If I remember, I think he was eating ice cream when it happened. And, um, you know, she was actually indicted and convicted. Um, the, the tragedy of that was unbelievable on, on the whole incident that happened. And I understand that there was a survey that was done in that building where like 44% of the residents actually had gone to the wrong apartment, you know, while they were living in that building. Um, I heard good things uh, about, you know, Mr. Gene and um, Amber. I, I don't know, but you know, I, I did hear a lot of good things about her and it just seems that two good people met in a very tragic, tragic situation. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to call it lightning in a bottle twice. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I called every, I talk, I called every, the top fifty cities in this country and talked to their their PBA or their union, and nobody had ever seen this before. Right. You know, you had, you had an officer who had worked an extreme amount of hours for that day and for the week, um, but that particular day she had worked over fourteen hours straight. She comes home. The apartment complexes don't number by the floors, and it has an internal parking garage that spirals up. So depending upon where you park, you think you're on the third floor, but you're actually walking to the second. The hallways the, the hallways come out into the garage. And so that's why so many people had gone to the wrong doors, because the hallways are exactly painted the same. The doors are painted the same. The door numbers are off to the right, about a foot and a half to the right. So it's not on the door itself. Um, 
And so pretty much all the hallways are exactly the same. She, she comes home tired. She goes to what she thinks is her door. She's one, literally one floor uh, below her door and she sees the door open. And so in, in my opinion, she goes right into training. We have an RB, we literally have an RBT scenario of exactly that. You're entering into a burglary in, po- in progress. You enter into it, you see somebody inside, you order them to the ground, and the actor chooses whether to comply or not to comply, and you respond accordingly. And so, you know, people are saying she could have disengaged, you know, and, and that's true. She could have disengaged. But you know as well as I, you know, um, uh, science will, will, will tell you of the narrowing of perception, audio occlusion, all that. Uh, she fired for center mass thinking that somebody had entered her apartment and she erroneously killed an innocent man. And I agree, there has to be a penance for that. You can't kill an innocent man and, and, and pay no penance. And I believe that she should have. But murder? No, it's not murder. Murder, and everybody knows, intentionally, knowingly caused the death of another. That is not what happened that day. And it, again, perpetuated this idea that police are out there murdering African-Americans every day at will. And that is just absolutely untrue. And the facts do not add up. I mean, we, we know that. And uh, if the media told the real truth, they could help heal a nation, but they don't. Um, a- Amber Geiger was known as a hard-charging uh, police yes. officer. Do you think that that contributed to uh, her actions in this, that she was really a, 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 a person that got involved, so there was no back down type scenario. You, you think that might have? No, not, no, not at all. She wasn't a she wasn't a GI Jane going cold kind of person. She was a good cop, and she was one of those cops that didn't mind hiding in the bushes, didn't mind you know uh, 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 chasing after people if she had to. You know, um, she was just one of those proactive, what we'd like to have a young proactive police officer. Again, I think what, what played a huge part in this is she didn't have a lot of experience. She didn't have a lot of time on the department. She fell back into training um, and she got into what, you know, I'm sure all y'all know, she got into that goofy loop of just instinct reaction rather than able to pull herself out of that and possibly disengage. So, um, but again, I'm not, I, I've never said during this investigation or during the trial that she didn't, she wasn't culpable in something, but it wasn't an intent of murder. It was an awful mistake that she had to pay a price for, but it wasn't murder. Well, it kind of goes to the shooting in Minnesota about a week ago uh, where the officer yelling, taser, 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 then fires a shot. Um, I see that as purely accidental. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know the real facts of it, but we're hearing taser, taser. Uh, a shot gets fired, and now we have, a, I think it was a 16-year-old that is dead. Um, you know, I also understand that that 16-year-old, for the record, wasn't no choir boy either. That doesn't justify what she did in a sense of, of negligence, you know. And, and, well, you know, and, but he, and, he was resistant. And if we could just go back to the – there's one simple fact in this. There you and, go. By and large, in all these shootings that we see, if people would just comply, you do not have a right to resist. There is no constitutional right to resist. They think People think that officers have a lot of discretion. Officers don't have a lot of discretion anymore. 
that warrant pops up. I know here in Dallas, when that warrant pops up, they know it pops up in downtown too. It prints up there too. So they know you ran that person. We have body cameras. You're, you're, we're going to take you into custody. And if it's an error or you paid your fine, then you need to bring that up with a judge. If you feel you've been disrespected, that's what internal affairs is for. But if a person turns around and allows a officer to handcuff them, everybody goes home. And that's what's being, that is what is completely not being talked about, uh, you know, in these, in these conversations uh, along the water cooler and in every business and every home. Well, I was just going to say, I think that the media and the politicians are complicit in this because they're even questioning why are cops doing car stops? I mean, the day that cops have to stop doing car stops is the day that civilians start getting carjacked and robbed and burglarized and every other crime, kidnappings, because if they, they don't have to worry about cops pulling them over, then they're free to do whatever they want to do. Or you have that guy, you have the mayor of Minneapolis saying, you know, cops shouldn't even have guns. Why yeah. not other people have guns? And if you're telling officers that they're going to put their lives on the line and have no ability to defend themselves, you can just tell every, you, you can just kiss every major department goodbye because cops will walk out. You got the mayor of Chicago banning foot chases. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's the new thing. We're not chasing you if you run. You know, Ed, for, our, for our audience, and this is as simple as I can put it. If you have an intersection that is getting a lot of car accidents, what is a way you stop you stop, stop those car accidents? Enforcement. You right. start writing red light summonses. Right. It's as simple as that. Right. Now people won't red, run the red light, which are causing the vehicle accidents. The, the truth is, Mike's on it. it it's, it's compliance. It's not racism. It's compliance. If you comply with the officer's directive, then you will put your handcuffs where they're supposed to be and everybody goes home. Resistant arrest is the speeding of car accidents. You chose to change what you should be doing and now you crashed. And in some cases when this is happening, the, the battle between you know the perp and the cop could end up deadly. It's got nothing to do with race, but this is what the narrative is being uh, told as with the news media. Why? Because it sells stories. It keeps them chasing stories. and But they're actually doing more damage to the public. Well, in, in common sense, you know, isn't so common anymore, but who in their right mind would actually think an officer wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to kill somebody. Today I'm, I'm going to kill somebody. Right. And then for the next five years, I'm going to completely destroy my life, my wife's life, my kid's life, all my family. That's what I want to do today. Yeah, that's what I want to do. It, it's completely preposterous. And, you know, these, you know, uh, I like to call them just ambulance chasing lawyers and race baiting lawyers. They're making a living. They're making a good living off this false narrative. And you see these same so-called attorneys going all over the country at all these, you know, shootings and blowing them up to what, a lot of times they're not. Their failure to adhere to uh, to officers' orders, their failure of training, like what happened with, with the female and the taser, that was nothing but a training, failure to train right there. Um, and it's just, it's a shame. And it's going to have dire consequences in this country. Mike, in a scenario you just explained about 
a, a cop waking up in the morning, going into getting a shooting. I, I've got nearly 40 years in the NYPD. I've never once experienced that. I know, Bill, you probably never did either. But if someone said, I want to get in a shooting today, and you were on patrol with him, what would happen? I would drive his ass straight back to the to the substation and said, I ain't riding with this guy. He's a whack job. Nobody, wants, you, to, nobody wants to go through that. You know, and, and I explain this to, to citizens here, and a lot of them don't understand why we even have, uh, we call them associations down here because it's a right-to-work state. But, uh, you know, it's just an insurance policy. That's all it is right. because they, they don't understand that if we're involved in an officer-involved shooting, even if the officer does everything correct, the officer takes two to the chest, survives, returns fire, kills the bad guy, you know, everybody would say, okay, that's justified. We still have to provide our own legal uh, you know, legal representation. The city doesn't provide that. They don't understand that. And no cop has $250,000 to $500,000 sitting in the bank to, to, to defend themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I've got over 90% of the department that has never used our legal plan. But you might just need it. Well, no one knows who the next person is going to be. And there will be another person. It's just a matter of time because it's the nature of what we do. Uh, there are people that are out there now committing crimes, and there are people out there now trying to stop them as we're having this conversation. And somewhere in this country, there'll be a shooting. It's just yeah. a matter of who's the next person. And, so, and that's what you need the attorneys for. Yeah, well, you so know, different. one of the things, the, the New York Times today had um, a listing of a lot of the shootings that they considered bad shootings over the years and some of the cases that became high-profile cases, and of course they blamed it on the police. But when they talk about the Michael Brown shooting, that officer was totally exonerated. Yet he was fired from his job. And thank God for physical evidence, because yeah, physical that evidence really is what cleared him. And the hands-up shoot rhetoric never happened. You know, never happened. And not only was he completely exonerated by the feds themselves, you know, Eric Holder, all those guys. It, it came out that he was assaulted in his own squad car and rounds were fired in the squad car. So it's almost like, well, we don't want to even hear that type, that part of the story. We're just going to listen to the one part where you shot the man and left him in the street, which, you know, that's horrible. He shouldn't have been left in the street, but it doesn't, it doesn't uh, completely exonerate the fact that the officer was attacked. The officer responded um, with the legal force. And, you know, it was again, do not resist. Do not fight cops. Don't attack us. Let's settle it where it needs to be settled, and that is in a court of law. Well, the other one was the Freddie Gray incident in Baltimore, where every single guy got off because they overcharged, they were overzealous, and they never got the truth. And the media ran with that like it was... Uh, well, Marilyn Mosby, the DA in that case, she had her own political agenda because she was up for re-election. And, and she, she prosecuted those officers purely out of her own self-motivation. I mean, she she never belonged as a DA. I know she's no longer the DA. And just recently, she screwed up something. I forgot. I saw it in the newspaper. Um, you know, a real piece of crap to do what she did. And the city of Baltimore burned in the process of it, putting, you know, thousands of people out of business, out of the ability to use stores. Uh, there's a lot of irresponsibility that's coming from people in, in good places. Uh, tonight, LeBron James uh, on his Twitter account uh, wrote out, you're next to the officer that uh, fired the shots in Ohio. Um, and you're next being the indictment. And subsequently, he took it down. But here's 
a, a well-known celebrity that is targeting a police officer saying you're next without even understanding the facts of the case. And, and, and you contributed. If that officer did not have a body camera, he would be he would be arrested already. Yeah, you're probably right. That body well, camera. that's the thing too. They used to give the benefit of the doubt to the officer involved in a shooting. I mean, look how fast they locked up that female officer uh, yeah. with 26 years on, and the judge denied her bail. Yeah, that's the crazy. How do you thing. deny her bail when you know? Is I thought bail was supposed to be that you're going to come back and show up for court. She is yeah. a 26 year veteran. There's no doubt she's going to show up. Well, in New York, she would have had no problem with bail because we let people committing robberies and firing shots with Syria. We let them go right out the door. The district attorneys in the state have no bail. They just let them go. Well, you know, I think it's funny that you know we have the 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 bad guy is now the victim and the victim is now the bad guy. But I think it's you know it's ironic that they all talk about bail reform, bail reform that bail should not be punitive. Bail is not a part of discipline or punishment. But then they turn around and put a bail on an officer and use it as a form of punishment. So again, you know, it's, uh, there's a whole different, they always say there's a different set of rule for police officers. You know, well, there's definitely a different set of rule for police officers now. Well, I, I think many of the police officers are really rethinking what they're doing in the street. And, you know, we just recently put out, a, um, you know, literature to them. If you're not 100% correct to the point of perfection, then don't do it. And this is unfortunate because, you know, a lot of good police work comes from a hunch and you develop it and you end up, you know, taking some real hardcore criminals off the street. But we are now going to be a responsive police department to go in and clean up the mess after the fact, which is going to just create more victims. And that's the sad part about it. Um, you know, we got the idiot mayor de Blasio and a dysfunctional city council, you know, and an NYPD leadership that just refuses to uh, take on the people that are doing the right thing. So it's going to take the silent majority to step up, and we're not seeing that happen right now. You know, and yeah. one of the things is also, though, that the um, it's been made very clear by Albany, well, Governor Cuomo, and then the, uh, New York City, the mayor, that either accept these criminal justice reforms or f from the view of the state, you will not get state funding. Right. And, and the view of the mayor, if the chiefs do not accept it, find another job, put your papers and retire. So there's, it's like there, there's no discussing it, even though these reforms are written by non-cops and they're written basically by politicians most of them who know nothing about policing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And not only do they know nothing about policing, they have an agenda. They're, they're, they're searching for a higher office or to retain that office. So they're doing whatever it costs, whatever they can to appease that loud vocal uh, activism that's coming down the pipe. And again, you're absolutely right. They're, right now, all they have in, in, uh, in public safety is report takers. And if right. that's what you want, that's what you got. You got a bunch of report takers. And at what, every major city, especially every major city that is blue, um, is crime shoot through the roof. Well, yeah. it's happening. And one of the problems is that we're not calling out the politicians the way they should be called out. Um, you know, I, I personally find a lot of the unions across the country are kind of quiet. And well, they need to be called out. 
But the problem is, is if you do attempt to call them out, then you bring more attention to your department and then more restrictive, more reforms come at you. Um, but then we're operating out of fear and we're, we're the good guys. We're the good guys. And we should not operate out of fear. The public is not backing us. We need to get them to back us. We need them to step up and, and the silent majority step up. But if we're going to operate out of fear as unions, then we're not serving our members. Um, but if you want to put restrictions on us, then you put the restrictions on us. It's only going to create more victims. I mean, we just saw um, uh, Congresswoman uh, Maxine Waters, you know, calling for violence. And that's okay. That, that's like no one, no one does anything about this. It, yeah, it's they, just, okay. they just indicted. A, I mean, I'm sorry, not indicted. They just in, impeached a guy for their, they saying he did the same thing. But yet she turns around, does the same thing, and nobody says anything about it. Well, but if you but, did it, uh, my, my Twitter account got shut down for saying certain things. I mean, here we have a, a, an elected, you know, senior congresswoman calling for violence instead of trying I, to heal the nation. And, I think and that, that's okay. I think you're right exactly on one thing about the silent majority has to come out. And, you know, and because and, that's what I'm the issue I'm having here in Dallas. Every time I get on someplace or I try to go through and have these conversations, I get canceled because I'm just a big, bad union boss. You know, I'm right. the guy trying to get cops off. We need those business leaders. We need the community leaders. We need those. Heck, we need those stay at home moms who are yelling, scream. Those are the ones that we need to come to our defense. Those are the ones that are scared to go shopping at night. Those are the ones that are worried about their kids. But they won't come out. They won't come out. Yeah, the normal everyday citizens are the right. ones that finally need to rise up and say, hey, look, yes, we need police to be more transparent. Yes, we need better trained. Yes, we need to make sure that we, you know, we have a unified uh, uh, accounting system for, for shootings. Or, or, or well, Absolutely. We can always do a better job. But we need police. You have to have you, you can't have lawlessness. And to prevent lawlessness, you have to have laws that keep the citizens and everybody safe. And it's just it's it's just so backwards right now. I don't even well, know. It, it seems, Mike, that for some reason they've taken the side of the criminal over the police and that the criminal is the good guy. Some of these things, this is some of the reforms that came down from Albany. Bail reform, discovery reform, speedy trial reform, prison closure. Raise the age now. They, they You have to be over 18 to be held accountable now. It used to be uh, 16 as an adult. That's Willie Bossett ran around a city in New York killing people. He was 13. Well, right. Uh, New York State Council on Community Reentry and Reintegration. All of these things, what they have in common is the goal of the politicians to do something called decarceration. And that has to do with emptying the jails and the prisons. That's their goal. You know what I'd like to see the media do is ask these politicians or the LeBron Jameses of the world, what would you like the police officer to do if they were coming to stab your son or daughter? What would you expect them to do if that were happening and shut them up for a change? Because they've never been put in that position to answer those questions. I mean, you know, Corey Johnson, I told you earlier, you know, they had protests at his partner's house. He was sick over it. I think he went to therapy after the fact. But what happens if it was your son or daughter? 
it's easy to sit back and second guess the cop. But every one of them, as Maxine Waters, you know, when she went to Minnesota, she wanted police escort. Uh, LeBron James, everywhere he goes, there's cops all over the place. He's not saying I don't want them around. But if it was his son or daughter, would you be so quick to indict that police officer and tweet his photo out there? Exactly. Exactly. Every one of their security details are either ex-cops, off-duty cops, and every one of them have a gun. So it's very disingenuous, you know, to sit there and say that, you know, uh, police officers are bad, law enforcement's bad, guns are bad, um, but yet they implore, they, they employ those same people to protect them and their families. You know, another thing, Ed, is that they've been coming up with, and I've been reading this a lot from academics, is that they want the police department not to be a paramilitary organization any longer. Like, what, 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 what will they be? I don't well, know. And what do you want us to wear? I mean, what exactly do you want us to put on? A three-piece suit? It, it means, right. <laughs> well, two years ago, we were in buckets of water as a result of us being a, a, a lap dance for most people. I mean, the city of New York had cops getting hit with buckets of water. It made national yeah. news. And at the end of the day, that's a result of us lowering the expectations of what our job was and tying the hands of law enforcement. I mean, we had a city council person that called our mounted unit racist, called our horses racist. And I had to go after him because I said, man, horses don't even know they're horses. <laughs> racist. You know what I mean? That's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know, but the defense today is everything is racist if you say something. If you make sense, you're a racist. And it's not true. But this is it's an indefensible defense. This is what they put up. And how do you get around it? So most people don't want to be called racist. They stay silent. That's it's a technique talking. used to, to end the conversation. That's what it well, is. Exactly. And, and if you do respond that I'm not racist, they just turn around and say, well, what would a racist? Of course, that's what a racist would say. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I've. Uh, um, I, I feel, I truly feel sorry for white America because you're either, you only have two choices. You're either racist or you don't know you're racist. You know, you're racist and you don't know it, you know, and how the hell do you, like you said, how do you defend yourself for that? How, I mean, how do you, how do you fight that? You can't. Um, and so I think it's very disingenuous and I think even worse what they say that everybody else is doing, they're doing even more than anybody else. And when I say they're anybody, regardless of color, but anybody who looks at it specifically on the idea of somebody's color of their skin, rather than what they what they actually present in life and how they treat people. Um, because, you know, they'll sit there and say, oh, we know all cops aren't bad. Okay, well, you sit here and act like all cops are bad. So I, I don't understand how or, or how we fight that. And how we change that narrative because it's indoctrinating in our children, and it's so what's it's happening in schools right now. And and we don't talk about what occurs in the schools. You know, part of the problem that we're facing is is the education system. It's the lack of opportunity. It's the lack of jobs. Right. So poverty is the biggest contributor to the crime that we see in a lot of the poor communities. Which in this city, the poor communities are pretty much minority communities. If you go to other parts of the country, they could be white communities where, you know, there's poverty. But at the end of the day, there's a poverty issue and there's an education issue. And I, I don't know why we graduate, you know, kids out of eighth grade with a third grade reading level. And, well, you know, the public school system and the UFT, you know, they go along, 
you know, as a, a powerful lobbying group. And this is not a knock on teachers. There's a lot of great teachers that want to teach. It's the system that is designed and we push people through. So what opportunity do you get if you're not educated? And no one's selling education at this point. So we blame the police. Just earlier today, former chief of department, um, uh, Monaghan, did an interview on uh, Fox News talking how his new role is to work with all the other organizations in the city to help them achieve their goals. And the police are there to assist them. What he really said was they were never doing their job. And now the police are there to assist them and they're going to turn the city around. He mentioned nothing about qualified immunity, the compression bill, any of the things that are really tying the hands of the cops. Why? Because he was part of the problem. And they now rewarded him to sit, to play patty cake with everyone, just really as a political pandering, you know, machine to address the homelessness and the stuff that's there. What no one's telling anyone is they're all gone in the next six months. So they're not right. fixing anything. It, again, yep. another political hand job. Well, and also, I mean, you're asking officers, and when I say officers, the, the police profession in general, you're asking them to wear way too many hats that they're not trained nor really responsible to take care of. They keep right. talking about police reform. Before, you know, do we need police reform? Yeah, okay. But we also need society reform. And that's what they're failing to really recognize. You know, when, you, when you have, uh, you know, no economic growth in certain areas of town or certain areas of city that remain stagnant, when you don't have good schools, just like you said, and these kids aren't don't have good educations, when teachers aren't even allowed to fail anybody anymore, everybody's passing. Right. Then you create a problem. So, you know, you want to know what we always wondered what would happen to that generation that was a never allowed to fail, that generation that everybody got a trophy, that generation that everybody was beautiful, everybody was winners. This is what you got now. You got a, you got a, uh, you know, a, a generation of complainers who bring a whole bunch of problems, but no real solutions because to, to have a solution, you got to put in the work. And they don't want to put in the work. They want to be woke. They want to say, I'm sad. I'm upset that this person's being treated bad, but I'm not going to do anything about it. You know, they don't. You also got to remember that if they acknowledge it, they now own it. And they don't want to own it because they're the ones that create it. And that's a problem. You know, well, one thing when you make a mistake, you fix it. These. Yeah, 30%, 30% of minorities are, are fatherless. There, so there had to be a father somewhere to make that baby. There, you don't have to be married to have a father in a family unit. You just need to have a father to take the responsibility of the role of being a father and help raise a child to make them a good citizen. You need to be but a dad. This, but the government yeah. has made it profitable to not have a father figure, to not have a family unit. So where you, how are you going to fix that? Well, you know, Mike and, and Ed, one of the things in criminal justice reform, and I think we, we spoke about this before, that if there's going to be any money pumped in an area, I think it should be pumped in to the youth and youth programs. Like, you know, like we talked about sports. And some of that is being done by the NYPD. You know, Pat Russo with his uh, kids and boxing program the uh, Michael Busick Baseball League up in Washington Heights. And the police are doing some of that, but some of uh, the money from the private sector 
should maybe go to youth programs so the kids don't, you know, they have somewhere to go. They don't get in trouble. Before they get in trouble, let's invest in that. A couple of things. We got to create some kind of mentoring program because, as Mike is saying, there, there's no dad in a lot of these households. And if you're a mentor, I mean, cops are coaching teams every day of the week, right? And, and kids are somewhat intrigued by cops for the most part. They see the uniform. A lot of kids want to be cops. But, you know, a mentoring program works with the children, it, and it gives them somebody to keep them in track. It replaces the dad that's not there. And that's not really our job. But we're doing it anyway. But departments should think a little bit progressively like that. And I'm going to guess, Mike, I mean, you've been president. No one's knocked on your door saying, hey, what do you think? Uh, I, I'm sure that hasn't happened. I'm doing this a long time. They never ask what we think. They only send uh, us a, an email or a phone call when they're looking for a check to some type of event where they want to go golfing. And that's generally what happens. But for the most part, we're not asked to be part of the solution. Um, you're looked at as the bad guy. And when we give the answers, it exposes them. And they don't want to hear that. But the kids are an important role to do this. And it, it really does need to be addressed. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, they love to ask the PhD. They love to, they love to ask the guy that's been at Harvard for 30 years. But they don't ask the guy who's actually held the dead bodies. No. They don't ask the guy who's actually seen the abused children. They don't ask the guy and girl who actually have answers to homelessness and drug addiction. Um, they just want to put the responsibility of trying to cure it on the law enforcement, but don't give them the tools to do so. No, they don't ask the people who do the job. You know, Jack Welch, when he took over GE, he actually walked the assembly lines talking to the people doing the job and became one of the most profitable companies out there. Um, no one asked the people in the street what's taking place. And, you know, Bill Bratton was famous for these focus groups. You know, bring you in, question you about all these, you know, different things in the department, create a focus group. Well, you know, I sat on a couple of them, never seen anything change. They're, they're, again, they're just fluff. It's the old, they need training or form a commission when we have to come up with an answer. <laughs> you, know, you know what I used to do? The guy in my command that used to say, you want to stop a problem? Open up a log. Right? Yeah. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Just write it down in the log. The problem yeah. will go away. You're right. It just disappears. Up the chain and wait for a signature. Yeah, I, I see Dallas has the same thing with the log because you, you immediately picked that up, right? <laughs> you just got a new chief, Eddie Garcia, I think. Is that yeah? How's he going with how long have he been there? I tell you what, he's been here since February, and it's been a short time. He's batting a thousand, man. We had such a horrible taste in our mouth from the last chief. Uh, she did such a horrible job. And, you know, this organization did everything we could to back her. We went to Detroit, welcomed her. We came here. I gave her a year and a half, almost two years of her three years. I really said, didn't say a whole lot um, because I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt and give her every opportunity. I told her many, many times, just let me help you. Just let me help you create and help you, you know, pre present these policies to the rank and file so it's more acceptable and she would never let she would never take that that extend that uh, that olive branch i sent to her and it just got worse and we had riots and we had protests and horrible decisions were made so now that we have a chief who has actually been a chief has actually made those hard decisions he has done it in california has faced those those california problems um and he's come here and he has really uh, increased morale, 
to a large extent um, is looking at some of our policies that he just shakes his head and says, man, these are so chaotic, you know, our old and, and, uh, and just useless policies. Um, you know, why have they been here? And all you hear is because we've always done it that way. Um, and he's not taking that as good enough. It's time to change him. And I agree 100%. So, You're a lot uh, like me. I like to give the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt. That's pretty good. <laughs> you have to. I mean, you have to. I told him, I mean, you want your city to succeed. You need your department to succeed. You need the Chief to succeed. Right. And so until he, until it gets to the point that I can't, uh, you know, support him anymore, then I'm going to do everything I can to support him because yeah, hopefully it's going to keep my guys alive. Right. Um, you know, we had a shooting, matter of fact, uh, yesterday. I'm sorry, day before yesterday. This in, this this guy was robbing places, uh, tried to do a carjack at a school. Officers chase him, finally corner him on the freeway. Uh, he points the gun at him. They fire and shoot and kill him. And it turns out that it's a pellet. It's a BB gun. But, man, it looked just like a 357 revolver. I mean, just like it. So what did this chief do? He didn't waste any time. He got right on TV, showed a real 357, and showed the fake one and said, tell me which one's fake. Tell me which one you think is fake. And the one that was fake is the one that had 357 written on its on its barrel. Um, and nobody could pick it out. And so you better not give him too many kudos. People are gonna try to steal him. Yeah. He said, you know, if if the public can take five, 10, 20 minutes to try to figure out which one is real. How do you expect my officers to do it in less than a second? They can't. That's the bottom line. They can't. And, and again, I think I think you said it earlier. You, you just got to throw it in the public's face to where they have to make a decision. And nine times out of ten, I would think the majority of them would make will make a common sense decision. Because well, it's, Mike, it's also that you don't let the media uh, control the narrative. You yeah, don't let he, them do that. He created the story and he told the story with facts from the beginning uh, and it took the wind right out of their sails. Um, yep. So uh, I think uh, so far he's doing great. And so again, I'm going to support him to the end. As long as, as long as we're both being productive, let's do it. Ed, we're at an hour and 10 minutes. So we're probably yeah, sure. It's, quick, Mike, though, it's, it's a biggie. Um, Texas border state. Um, you got the border right there. Border patrol under fire. Uh, you guys involved? Anything happening there? Well, you know, they're bringing, uh, you know, the migrant children are here in Dallas because, you know, we have the giving heart. Although I got homeless kids sleeping in cars that nobody cares about them. Um, but we're going to, you know, we're going to house 5,000, you know, immigrant children that we have no idea who they are. We have no idea how they got here. Look, I am all for having big hearts, but I've got a serious problem when I've got 5,000 homeless people just in the city of Dallas and over 50% of them are veterans, they didn't go to war broke. They came back from war broke and we have done nothing to help them and nothing to heal them. But we're going to spend billions of dollars on individuals who we have no idea who they are. And I think it's a complete disgrace to our country and, and to our military and our veterans. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we should be supporting our veterans, no doubt. Bill, you want a last word? Go for it. Last words, like I think, you know, you're the third um, union head that we've had from different parts of the country. And we could say that we all have the same problems pretty much, you know, <laughs> and uh, hopefully we can, uh, through dialogue, we can come up with some solutions. And through challenging 
these politicians, uh, maybe we can come up with some solutions. Well, I, I mean, I definitely think it's it's time. I, I think one of you said it earlier that we have got to join our ranks. We have got to have a collective voice, whether it's, you know, we've got to bring NAPO, we've got to bring FOP, you know, we've got to get it, to, you know, at the same table and put whatever sillinesses aside and say, hey, look, we've got to, we've got to unify a voice. And, but we've got to make sure that voice is saying the right things, because if we're going to swing a big stick like that, we've got to make sure that voice is, is unison and it's saying the right thing. And we should get the business people involved because they, they have a big stake in the tax base to a lot of these cities. And, you know, the adverse impact is to the people who can't survive. They're the real victims. Um, Absolutely. You know, you know, we, we can do something good like that. Uh, Mike, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time out to talk to us. Um, I want to thank everyone for watching uh, to the point. And Bill, as always, is always great being with you and doing it. So um, everyone have a good night and thanks for watching. And Mike, anything you need from New York, don't hesitate to call. <laughs> Just don't send your people because we've got a large contingency of New Yorkers down here. Our people are going there in droves right now. They're coming in droves. And, man, I'm going to tell you what, there's some good guys. They actually have a group in my in the town that I live in, McKinney, just north of Dallas. They came and there's over there's almost 200 of them there, and uh, they wanted some place to hang out, so they bought a bar together, and we all hang out at their bar. And uh, I tell you what, they're great guys, and uh, they love the cowboy way down here. You mean cops drink? He <laughs> didn't say that. He didn't say that. You know? just, say the, just three fingers worth. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mike, thank you. Stay safe and hopefully all your people stay safe. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Take care of yourself. You too.